0: He's joined me in reading from Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And the other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for the things for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold.
1: Well, this morning I hope you'll keep your Bibles open with me in Mark. In Mark chapter four, we're going to be looking at this parable together. Uh, again, as a church, we've looked at this passage a number of times. It was actually one of our earliest meetings as a core group in the Daintree neighborhood nine years ago that we first looked at Mark chapter four. We looked at it because it is a part of what we call our fivefold strategy for mission at Cross Point Coast. Uh, the fivefold strategy for mission begins with uh, the the conviction for gathered gospel celebration, what we are part of this morning. We believe that this is what God has purchased for us to walk in. We believe that the second uh, strategy for mission is that God has made us a scattered gospel community, that we remain his people as he sends us into our lives and neighborhoods and communities, but he do so as a community of faith in all of those places to which he sent us. We believe that the third strategy for mission is that disciples are the face of the church, not a sign or a website or a motto or a big vision statement or even a five-fold strategy. None of those things are the face of the church. The disciples are what the people in the community are to see, and through seeing the disciples, our love for one another, we are shown to be Christ's disciples and make him known in the communities to which he sent us. And Then that leads us to the fourth strategy for mission, which is fruitful multiplication. We believe that as we go about into our communities and in our celebrations and as the face of the church into our communities, we believe that what God will do is where that seed is sown, he will work the miracle of fruitful multiplication. This morning, we see that in our passage in Mark chapter 4. What Mark has done is he's done this again for us. He's offered up what I called last week a marcon sandwich. All right? I didn't make up the word, but it kind of fits. He makes these little sandwich passages. These sandwich passages where we have a narrative that's broken up into two parts with this teaching in the middle. And really, that's the meat of the sandwich. The meat is in the middle in verses 10 through 13. It's the meat of this narrative that Mark tells us in this passage. Now, James Edwards, you know, a commentator, he writes it this way. The center of the sandwich in verses 10 through 13 is the key to understanding the whole of the narrative, that only in fellowship with Jesus do parables disclose the meaning of of the kingdom of God. This is the central message of our passage this morning is that only in fellowship with Jesus does what Jesus sow, his parables, his teachings, make any real sense. That's where we find understanding is in fellowship with Jesus. So let's go to him just briefly in prayer as we ourselves turn to his word. Heavenly Father, we pray that You would open our eyes, that we would be in fellowship with You, that You would be in our midst, that Your Spirit would work by Your Word to sow this seed deep within us and do a cultivating work among us to prepare us to hear this Word with faith, and that we would be a people who not only hear, not only even understand, but that we would comprehend with faith and so be transformed Lord, I pray that your word would work in the midst of your people gathered this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to look at the passage really in actually four parts. The first part is just a little bit of an introduction. If you look at it with me, look at verses 1 through 3. And what we have is we have another large crowd. We should be getting used to this at this point as we're working our way through the gospel of Mark. Another very large crowd is gathered. Again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him. We've seen Jesus and these crowds. He he has a difficult relationship with the crowds from the beginning of Mark. They keep coming to him right? And they're coming to him with their needs, and the Lord is, is willing and able to care for the people who are coming. But then they've pressed him so hard that he's nearly been killed and trampled in the in the happenings. We've seen that Jesus has been pressed so hard and followed so repeatedly that he's been found to not even be eating because of the demands of the crowds. And we've seen that there are some elements in the crowds that are increasingly hostile to Jesus, particularly those that are related to the religious establishment, are particularly hostile to Jesus in the midst of the crowds. The crowd's in the midst of their pressing upon Jesus, are becoming an increasingly less safe space for Jesus. I note this in the passage because it draws a distinction. There's a group, a crowd from whom Jesus has to create a distance when he goes to the boat. And then there's a group that draws close to Jesus and whom He gives understanding. There's a little word in here, or just a little idea. So that, in verse 1, he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. So you see, there's a distinction and a space that's being created between Jesus and the crowds who were coming to him. It's a very practical space. But it's still something that the boat disappears in a little while. You'll see it. The boat disappears, and there's an intimate group who are around Jesus. Jesus has been teaching in parables. We see that in, as we continue to read in verse 2. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold. He's speaking in parables. Now, speaking of understanding, Jesus Parables are an incredible teaching device. They're they're an incredible teaching device to bring about understanding. They're vivid, they're memorable, they're relatable. But at the same time, Jesus uses parables to create a division among the people. We have the, the word crowd, which is not a word that communicates intimacy, right? We have the word crowd. We have the boat that creates Distance, and we have a parable which may be memorable, but also it's a metaphor in which sometimes the teaching can become confused for those who don't don't remain close enough to have understanding from the teacher. It's a a metaphor rather than a clear teaching. The crowd divides between those for whom the parables of Jesus remain interesting and yet baffling stories, and those who hear the parables and draw closer to Jesus and move into understanding and have transformed lives. There's a division that's happening in our passage this morning, and the division only becomes more and more stark in the chapters ahead. Already we see the central idea of the passage at work. Even today, there are many who have heard about Jesus. There are many who perhaps have been to one of these gatherings, the gatherings of the church. They, they know Jesus. They've been a part of the crowd. But this does not yet mean that you have truly heard Jesus, understood Jesus, and been changed by his word. There's a warning already that there is a distinction in the midst of the crowd. What that will require is that you would listen to him and that you would draw close to him. So let's look at the parable and let's listen. I want you to sit in this parable. We could jump right to its interpretation, all right? I would, but I want to I ask you to sit in the seat of the crowd, listening to Jesus teach from the boat and hear the parable for the first time, you know what I mean? Receive the parable itself. Become a listener there by the sea of Capernaum. And here's what you hear. The first word that you hear, listen, exclamation point. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And you're like, hmm, right? I'm listening. I wonder what's happening with this sower who went out to sow. Listen. That's the whole point of the passage, actually, It's what Jesus is trying to call the people to, to listen and to hear. And there's a distinction between those who listen and those who prove themselves not to be listeners, hearers, and doers of the word of Jesus. There's already a distinction with the first word of Jesus' teaching, listen and behold. A sower went out to sow. We'll talk about this a great deal in the, later on in our chapter when we come to the parable of the seed of the parable of the seed growing when a man goes out to scatter seed on the ground. We'll look at the sower and his scattering a good bit more in a few weeks. But do note that the seed doesn't sow itself. All right. It's not that you have soil walking around, stumbling across seed on the ground, and then laying itself down on top of it. That's not the metaphor. You listen to the metaphor. You have a sower that is necessary for the sowing of seed. The Lord's will is that there are sowers of seed in order for there to be a crop. Now, I didn't go into interpretation yet. Did you? Or are we just listening to the metaphor? Right Now, as the sower is sowing the seed, there are four soils. We'll look at these in more detail when we consider Jesus' explanation in a moment. But for now, let's make sure we hear the parable. In verse 4, we have the first soil. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. The birds came and simply devoured the seed. The second soil... We have the seed that fell on the ground. What happens to it? Well, there's not the seed that fell on the ground among rocky ground. Not much soil. It sprang up quickly, but it has no depth. It has no root. All of what is the seed and the little seedling that's starting to show up is above ground and exposed. And so it is scorched by the sun and it withers quickly. So ultimately, there was a seed, there was a seedling, but there's no plant and there certainly is no harvest. Then, in verse 7, we have the seed that falls among the thorns. It grew up, thorns around it, other things around it. It grew up quickly, and then it's choked out. It yields no grain. That's essential for us to not pass over. All right, Can you see it? Are you hearing Jesus' parable this morning? It's choked out, and it yields no grain, he says. Envision a grown but lifeless and fruitless plant. Is that what the sower went out to sow? Well, no, he went out to sow seed. But what was in his mind when he's sowing seed? Is it a fruitless, lifeless, no-grain plant? Verse 8. Then in verse 8, we have the seed in good soil. And what, how do we know? How do we know good soil? Right away, he tells us in verse 8, it produced grain. Don't miss it. How do you know good soil? Well, when you put seed in it, what happens is you get a plant. No. You get a harvest. You get grain. It's growing up and it's increasing. It puts out shoot upon shoot. And off of those shoots, it bears fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. What does a plant like this, produce. It produces more seed, right? And more seed falls on all the other soil that's around it. It's 30, 60, 100 fold fruitful sort of soil. Not only that, it provides cover for the seed that falls off of it. It provides cover. Maybe the bird that flies by doesn't see it. It's not out there on the path. It gives shade to the scorched earth that's around it. And it breaks up the hard and rocky soil that's around it. You can see why it bears miraculous fruitfulness. Because if you finally get seed that falls in good soil and it grows up and it's fruitful, it does a work not only to produce grain, but it does a work in the land around it. Now there are two main distinctions in these soils. The first distinction, the clearest teaching, is first of all this. The distinction is between how they received the seed. That is, what do they do with the seed? What is the condition of the ground that receives the seed? Essentially this, is the seed easily snatched away or choked out or burned off? Or does it do something in the soil notice the soil doesn't do anything it's just sitting there being soil then the farmer comes along sows seed the seed drops in the soil and the seed does amazing thing and the soil's willing to receive it what's the result of receiving the seed that's the second distinction what's the result of receiving the seed between the first three soils and this last good soil and the first three, the main idea, is not that there was no plant. The main idea, the distinction, is that there was no harvest. Do you hear that? The distinction between the first three and the last one is not that there's no plant. In two of them, at least, there was a plant, even briefly. The distinction is that there was no harvest. The farmer doesn't go into the field of grow plants. The farmer goes in the field to reap a harvest. and he closes with this. He who has ears, let him hear. The truth is in the parable. Jesus is done teaching. To those who have ears, to those who would receive it, hear it. The truth is in the parable. But as we will see, the truth is not understood apart from faith-filled pursuit of Jesus. Did you hear it? Do you hear what I'm getting at? He says, him who has ears, let him hear. There's no explanation needed. The truth is there for them. The question is, what is their proximity to Jesus? And that becomes the distinguishing reality. It becomes very clear for us as we look in verses 10 through 13 at the purpose of the parables. Not just this parable, but the parables, he tells us. And interestingly, this particular parable helps us to understand the purpose of all the parables. Verse 10 says, And when he was alone, that's important. We don't see that very often, do we? We see Jesus surrounded by crowds or trying to get a little bit of space, right? Well, now, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. Notice that the boat is gone. The crowds are gone, and yet there's a people alone with Jesus. What did Jesus tell his disciples? Why did he call them to himself back just a chapter ago? So that they might be with him. Here they are. This is what Jesus is doing. He's creating a place to be with the people that he's calling to himself. The boat's gone, and he's with this group of twelve, along with, you'll notice, those around him who were with the twelve. We're now with an intimate group who continue with Jesus when the crowds and all the public ministry is off on the shore. He's with this small group of people, those around him, who were with the twelve, were a group that were not satisfied with parables, but sought Jesus out for greater understanding. They didn't just want to hear the word, they wanted to be understand the word, and they wanted to be with Jesus so that they might be transformed by Jesus. And then the second thing that Jesus called them to just a chapter ago, not only that they would be with him, but that they would be sent out to preach. Thus, they were followers of Jesus. The disciples and those who were with the twelve were actual followers of Jesus in a very real, tangible, practical sense. They followed him. It's for this reason that the parables move from interesting, curious parables to understanding. Listen. This little section can become confusing. But what should be clear to us is it is not that Jesus does not want understanding for the crowds. It's that what Jesus wants is followers of himself. That's the distinction that we see in this passage. Jesus is seeking and making a people who are intimately in fellowship with him. I want to note that such intimacy simply wasn't possible for the crowds in Jesus' earthly ministry. Think very practically. There are thousands, some of the estimates are way more than I would have guessed, all right? Thousands of people gathering around Jesus, pressing in on him, trying to listen to him. But in his earthly ministry, intimacy with Jesus just wasn't possible for the crowds. There's only so much room on the boat. You get it? Practically. There's only so much space up close to Jesus. This is yet another reason why the gospel is so crucial, of practical significance. Listen. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, Through the sending of the Holy Spirit, through the commission of the apostles' teaching, the word recorded and disciples sent, where the crowd were unable to draw near to Jesus, Jesus, through his work, through his word, and through his disciples, Jesus draws near to them. See, what Jesus is doing is he's making up the gap that was real and practical in his earthly ministry. He's performing a gospel by which he draws near to our sinful condition, by which we might be forgiven and reconciled to God, by which we might receive the Spirit of God, and by which we might receive his word through his commissioning of preachers to draw near to us in the name of Jesus. Jesus, in going aside with these few, is actually drawing near to the crowd. Do you see it? By his drawing near to these few, he's actually drawn near to us, the crowd, so many centuries later. And what does he give them? In verse 11, it says, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom. But for those outside, everything is in parables. The secret of the kingdom. Well, what's the secret of the kingdom? What we're going to discover is the secret of the kingdom is to follow after and to pursue Jesus. This is the secret. This is the glory and secret and mystery of the kingdom is that we can have fellowship with our God. Again, as James Edwards, a commentator that's been so helpful, says, only in fellowship with Jesus do parables disclose the meaning of the kingdom of God. Only in fellowship with Jesus. Why is this? Because Jesus is both the king of the kingdom and the glorious end of the kingdom. You can't understand the secret of the kingdom until you understand the king of the kingdom. And that the goal of the king of the kingdom is not to build a nice little kingdom where subjects can live. But so that all who belong in the kingdom might have an intimate fellowship with the king. That's the secret of the kingdom. Why did Jesus come preaching? What did he come with? He came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And what's the good news of the kingdom? Well, that the kingdom of, is at hand because the king was here. That's the good news. That's the secret. That's the mystery of the kingdom is that God has come near to dwell with his people. Here's the meaning of the parables. If the parables drive you to Jesus, then the parables did their job. If the parables drive you to Jesus and you find yourself alone with him, with the disciples, then the parables did their job. That's the great secret and purpose of the parables. Look at how the parable itself works. The sower is clearly out in the field to reap a harvest. And what is sown is the word, And the difference is simply the willingness of the soil to receive the word. So when the crowds hear the word of the parable, the question is, will they receive the word deeper into themselves so that the seed of the word will do its work in them, or will they move further away from the word in ways that move them further away from Jesus? Will you receive the word in ways that drive you to the Lord? of the harvest. That's the question. Those who came to Jesus, who pursued him with the 12, are those who are taking in the word of Jesus and they just can't get enough. So they find themselves alone with him and he's pleased. He says he's pleased to give them the secret of the kingdom. This is the gift that he gives. For some that's the crowd, there's just seed. And the seed remains just seed. For some, it's just a parable. It remains a parable, an interesting saying. But for others, the seed is received with faith, and it germinates within them to produce the very secret that is the kingdom of God. But in both cases, the seed, the teaching, and the word are present, but only in some is that same word received with faith. Now, there's something interesting, and honestly, it's confusing in verse 12. It says that he's teaching these parables so that, and then it offers this quote from Isaiah, they may indeed see but not perceive. Now, the word so that is one simple little word, and it it means many different things. It's essentially a connection word, connect two phrases together, and it mean a variety of things. So that is the simplest translation, so I appreciate that it puts it just so that and leaves the interpretation up to us. It seems that what Jesus is saying is that he is intentionally teaching in such a way so that he would not be understood. Well, that doesn't make any sense. If he would do that, why would he teach in parables? They're powerful teaching tools. Jesus is to this day marked as a great teacher because he taught in parables. He's not marked as a bad teacher who veils his teaching because of parables. It doesn't really make sense. Parables are a powerful teaching device. Jesus' goal is not that he would not be understood. The sower would have carefully placed the seed along the path and then trampled it himself, if that was the image that Jesus was going for. Instead, the image of the sower sowing broadly and liberally and indiscriminately. He wants to be understood. He wants the word to get out. What Jesus is acknowledging in this passage with this quote from Isaiah is that when you cast seed broadly, when you sow, when you sow in the crowd, there will be a varied response, so the sow that can also be translated in numerous places means with the inevitable result." So he says, "I'm teaching to them in parables, powerful teaching tools that at the end of which you can say to those who have ears, let them hear." The truth is there for you if you'll hear it. And he's doing it with the inevitable result that for many they will hear, they will not understand. They will indeed see and not perceive. Do not be surprised that much falls on the path. Much is scorched by the sun and much is choked out by the weeds and thorns. Jesus tells those who were with him, though, that you would assume would be the good soil, right? Those who were with him, who who traveled with him probably in the boat and were alone with him. Do you not understand? Look at verse 13. And he said then, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Now that's important. An understanding of this parable is essential for us to understand what Jesus is doing in all of what he teaches if you are the soil that receives the word with faith and pursues after the teacher, you will surely be given the secret of the kingdom that the parables are to disclose. What those who were with Jesus did not yet fully understand is that by being with Jesus, the parable itself was being fulfilled in their midst. Jesus is what? The word. He's the Word made flesh, dwelling among us. They're still parsing Jesus like a rabbi with a good teaching without realizing that just by being with Jesus, the Word is being planted among them. And by abiding with Jesus, they're abiding with the Word. By being with Jesus, the parable of the good soil was being fulfilled in their midst. Knowing Jesus, being with Jesus, walking in faith with Jesus is the secret of the kingdom. Walking in an intimate relationship with Jesus, who is the Word. But even those who were with Jesus didn't yet fully understand the secret of the kingdom had been given, but they didn't yet, they still needed to remain with Jesus for the rest of their lives to be brought to full understanding. Clearly, the giving of the secret. Is not a simple act leading to total enlightenment. Oh, now I get it. Now I can leave Jesus and know something. Do you see that? It is a life that is lived abiding in Christ. Understanding, even this morning, a true receipt of the word of God will not be the result merely of parsing the words of a parable. Understanding this morning will come as you and I are with Jesus. Jesus, I don't want to merely understand you. I want to know you and understand. I want to know your word and I want to have a life that's lived in the presence of the King. So Jesus has explained the reason for teaching the parables. Now he's going to explain the meaning of this particular parable itself. And we'll discover that the meaning of this parable is the purpose of all of the parables. The meaning of the parable, Jesus discloses in verses 14 through 20. He begins with the sower. Look at it with me, verse 14. The sower sows the word. In the parable, he sowed seed. In the explanation, he sows word we would be right to see that Jesus is the sower of the seed in this context. But we would also be right to see that Jesus, by bringing this small group close to him, is raising up a whole new crop of sowers. He's, he's raising up a whole new people who, are, who will bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold because they themselves go out with the seed. The sow. Jesus is the sower. And so are these who are with him. But that's the whole thing. A, this is just a parable for what Jesus did when he called the disciples to himself. Do you remember? Just a chapter ago, Jesus calls the twelve, and he names them, right? And some of them, he even gives new names. But when he says, why did he call the twelve to be with him? So that they might be with him. That's why He calls people to be with him. There's no great like, big end goal. That that they would be with him. And being with him, they would be sent by him. This is the goal, that sower would beget sower. The passage explains the three soils with interesting words. It says, these are the ones and these, and others. I think what what Jesus is doing is in explaining these three first soils is he's actually holding out for us just one big clump of a sort of person who does not receive the word and bear fruit. We have those, these ones, and, and yet others. What we see is we see three enemies of fruitfulness. The first enemy of fruitfulness, as Jesus describes it, is Satan. Look at verse 15 with me. And these are the ones along the path where this word is sown when they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Friends, listen. We have an enemy. And he's not on break this morning. He's not on pause. He's busy and he's prowling And my guess, no, my confidence this morning is he's working busy this morning. I do hope and pray word is going out this morning. And he would snatch it from you. Now, maybe he already has. Maybe he has over and over again when the word has been made known to you in your households, in the preaching of the word, at the point and in the small group that you're a part of or in community group. We have an enemy. Technically, words were said. Technically, ears heard sound vibrations. The person can even repeat the words back, but they were never really heard. It was there, the seed was there, and then it was gone path didn't even know it. Do you know it even? The second soil, verse 16. And these are the ones sown among rocky ground, and the ones when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but immediately, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. The word was heard, but the word was heard in a context of a lot of noise. The word was heard in a context of a lot of noise. There were other things that are demanding attention. There was persecution and tribulation. There were enemies that entered on the same day that the word entered and the person chose to listen to these alternative narratives and sufferings and persecutions and the word that was heard quickly and loudly at first becomes dull and crushed and burns away in the midst of suffering circumstances. Friends, I've watched that happen. Some of you have too. Some of you have with great grace of God repented of when that's happened in your life. And then verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful the word is not only heard but it tried to grow up for a time it does it grew up but it grew up with other things that were growing up right there in the same soil you know what that's called what's it called when you grow up supposedly in the word but also growing up in you are other things come on that's idolatry In the third soil, Jesus is describing idolatry. I've heard people bicker about who's a Christian in this passage and who's saved and so on. It's idolatry, friends. (laughs) There's no debate about this. At least there's no debate about this, that the person must repent. God, weed out the other things that are growing up here or I will be choked When one permits idols to grow up alongside God's word, the human heart is sure to nurture idolatry. And we will actively choke out the word with that very nurturing of other things. Probably the most clearly here we see the purpose of the parables. When it comes to attention to God's word, there must be no other competition. When it comes to attention to God's Word, no others, no other gods. The life of discipleship is single-minded, single-hearted pursuit. To follow the teachings of Jesus is to pursue Jesus with one's heart, soul, mind, and strength. To follow Jesus is to fulfill the first and greatest commandment a wholehearted devotion to the Christ and his word. On hearing the word this morning, one of the first things that we see is we have real enemy. And the enemy is manifold in his deceit. We're told in this passage that the the word was briefly received with joy. I can't tell you how many times a guest has come up to me following the service and they're holding a page of notes, like literally, dozens of times. They're holding a page of notes and they tell me with real excitement and real encouragement, we're so glad to be here. It's so great to hear gospel teaching. This is our church. We'll be here next week and every week. Can't wait to see you next Sunday. I said, screw me too. Yeah, See, see you next Sunday. Mm-mm. and that would be okay I'm, I'm totally cool with that if I heard that they were with the fellowship of the saints and sitting under the word together somewhere else and I'll follow up And yeah yeah you know it just got real, real busy these days I just really appreciate your church and, and uh, just the things at work and the kids and I'm thinking man third soil are we listening Here? How many times? It's almost always busyness, vacation, kids, family, many good things. But, friends, every single one of those are other things, aren't they? Aren't they? It's called idolatry. So often the result is the same care for gathering with the church care to meditate on the word, is taken away, scorched, and choked out. But here's the thing. If you consider this, this sin, death, and the devil that's held out for us in this passage, Jesus has triumphed over every one of these in the gospel that he has come to work in our midst. Jesus has triumphed over sin, sin, cares of the world, death, persecution, and tribulation, the devil who would snatch away the word. Jesus has triumphed over all of these by his cross and resurrection. Jesus has tilled the field, prepared the way for us to receive his word with faith. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will we receive it? He's removed every barrier to our belief. Will we hear it and receive it with faith? But the business of the fourth soil, verse 29, verse 19, 20. (laughs) But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word. They accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. The goal of Jesus is scattering his word. Intimacy with himself is abundant fruitfulness. The secret of the kingdom is to receive the word with faith. It's to receive the word, take it in, endure with the word. You notice it says they endured for a little while, but then we're, we're told over and over again in the scriptures to endure with the word, to abide in the word, to the exclusion of all rivals. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2 puts it this way. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Here's the question for every single soul, not one passed over here. Are you included among those? Are you united with those this morning who hear with faith? Do you want Jesus to the exclusion of all things? I would close with four observations. Who are we in this passage? It's a great question to always ask when you look into the scripture, and don't assume that you know who you are when you read a passage. Pay attention. We are two things in this passage, at least. We are hearers of the word and one of the four soils. Our business is to hear. Our business is to be found by grace through faith as the fourth soil. To hear, accept, and bear fruit by the word. We do this by drawing close to Jesus. We receive his word with faith. I think the key word in the passage, I've already mentioned it, is in verse 17. I would encourage you. I know in in my Bible it's underlined in red. Verse 17, when it says the word, endure, Endure. How often do Jesus and the apostles speak of steadfastness, endurance, perseverance, patience, abiding? I'll say those words again just in case you want to catch them. I would encourage you look at the scriptures for these words steadfastness, endurance, perseverance, patience, abiding. John, chapters 13 through 17, precious passages about abiding in the vine. To be a hearer of the word means to remain with Jesus. We have nowhere else to go. Just like last week's passage regarding the Holy Spirit. You blaspheme the Holy Spirit, and what do you have left? By what means would the work work within us, but by his Spirit? What do we have if the Spirit doesn't give us Jesus. Faith expects to receive the word in such a way that it changes us and it bears fruit within us. Secondly, not only are we hearers of the word, but we are also sowers of the word. He's drawing us to himself that we might be with him and that we might be sent to preach. This parable taught me a precious principle of discipleship. Look at the sower. I mean, you can see him, right? It's a a powerful teaching tool, the parable. Can you see him? Right? And the phrase that grew up among Cross Point Coast in the very early days was that we make disciples wherever disciples may be found. I don't care where we are or who we're with or like, I don't know if they'll really stay at our church or not. I'm not sure if they're really a community group leader. Do we want to invest in somebody who's maybe not really doesn't have the skills and talents here? They seem like they might be moving soon. Should we really invest time? No, we make disciples. Wherever disciples may be found, we're just scattering the word. The gospel is on our lips everywhere we go because it's all we got. And we're not so impressive that we can discern what soil is good, soil or not. We're just not that smart. We make disciples wherever disciples may be found. And you know where the sowers seem to think that they would be found? Well, somewhere. (laughs) Ask him. Somewhere out here where the seed's fallen. We don't go into the field with a soil tester. Now, that may work with modern agriculture, but you and I don't have the adequate instruments to measure The human heart. Do we? Only God knows who are his. So we scatter seed everywhere. Where fruit rises up miraculously. You know what you'll say? Tested it. It was good soil. Turned out. Our great testing instrument is the word. Scattered liberally. How do we discover the already present cultivating work of the Spirit to grant the gift of faith? We plant the Word everywhere and all the time. The third thing that it would challenge us with is we shouldn't be surprised by fruitlessness. How many of the four soils bear fruit? Yeah, this doesn't look good. <laughs> This parable is given to as a realistic encouragement to disciples. I'm convinced that one of the reasons that Jesus explains this parable to this few people is that these are the people that he is drawing to be with him, and that he's about to send them out as his preachers. And he's warning them, don't be surprised when there's a lack of fruitfulness. But make disciples wherever disciples may be found. Scatter the seed, be a sower. How often would they and Jesus see their sacrificial labor in preaching the word appear fruitless? Jesus is telling them they shouldn't be surprised but sow the word liberally at all times with the inevitable result that many simply will not bear fruit. Imagine if I stopped preaching just because so many have failed to return but rather return to life as normal apart from the church. Imagine if you stopped listening to the word in all the places that God has given you his word by his common means of grace just because you didn't see immediate fruit. We remain, we endure. The fourth thing, oh, this is good. Now we're to the good part. We shouldn't be surprised by miraculous (laughs) fruitfulness. You shouldn't be surprised in all of the difficulty of enduring and continuing and scattering. And then, as we'll see in just a couple parables later, we go to bed, we wake up the next day, and somebody got saved. And somebody trades all the things of this world in spite and in face of persecution and tribulation and loss of friends. They follow after Christ and they bear much fruit. This parable is given as a reminder of the miraculous power of God's word at work in the human heart. Friends, this is my prayer and my expectation as we preach the word. I know what the word can do because I've seen the miracle of the word in my own heart. I've seen the miracle of God's transformative gift of faith and the word's ongoing work. And so will you. So have you, and so will you as you spread the word. I've seen God's work transform my life. I've seen his protection from the enemy practically. I've seen his encouragement in the face of suffering. I've seen strengthening and refining in the face of idolatry. And I've seen his word work and grow up, not only in me, but in his church. We should not be surprised by miraculous fruitfulness. But in closing... If we're not surprised, we should glorify. We should give praise and thanks because we know we didn't do it. All we did is we opened a canister of word and dumped it everywhere. And the powerful word of God worked a miraculous fruitfulness in unworthy soils. Heavenly Father, we glorify you right now not in hopes of something far off in the future, but in your miraculous grace upon sinners like ourselves. We thank you that you have done the work of cultivating us, that you've done, your word has done the mighty work. There was nothing in us but dirt. But you have done the incredible work of growing up a a fruitfulness, a sweetness among the people of God Thank you that we can abide in you. And in you we have all the nourishment we will ever need. That the great end of redemption actually isn't even mission. But mission ends in this beautiful circular work of bringing more people to simply be with you. And we will be with you forever. And we will no longer be sent out but gathered home. And this labor of scattered gospel community will become gathered gospel celebration and gathered community forever in your kingdom. Thank you, Lord. I pray that you would do this work this morning. I pray that your word, your spirit, your gospel would work in a heart that is yet hard. You would work in a heart that is scared, a heart that is suffering, a heart that is distracted. Again this morning, I pray that you would do the work that your word would be received with faith and your church is just waiting. We're waiting. We're enduring to celebrate that miracle. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.